Well, hello, friends, and welcome back for another episode of the C2C podcast. We are your hosts, Ron Jennings and Drew Cullen. Drew, do what you do. Say hi to the people. What's going on, everybody? If this is the first video you're listening to us from, don't worry. We're going over the entire book, so don't feel like you need to go back and read every or listen to everything else just because we said welcome back. That's right. This is a little bit different of a format for you guys this time because we are doing the book in review. That's right. It's a recap episode. <laughs> I feel like Rick and Morty. It's a recap episode, Rick. <laughs> is this a crossover episode? <laughs> no, it is not. We are not bringing in any other out, other outside media except for this Rick and Morty reference that Drew gave you. Yeah, please don't I might bring in... <laughs> I might bring in some Avatar references because I just finished the series and it was fucking awesome. Yeah, every conversation anyway, we've had since you finished it, you've included Avatar. So I'm guessing at some point you're going to throw it in here. We'll see. You're probably right. <laughs> so in this edition, we are going to do what I hope, if you guys have seen our other episode lengths, you'll probably be like, oh, yeah, right. We are going to do a brief recap of the first book in the Harry Potter series. The game plan here is we're going to cover a bunch of the major events, just give you a brief like timeline walkthrough of generally what went down in this book. We're going to give out some end-of-book rewards now that we have finished, so you guys know where we stand with a lot of the characters and events and things of that nature. And we're going to cover some important themes that kind of pop up throughout this book for you guys to keep in mind. And we will also each award, a spoiler alert, a certain event or theme or piece of information that you should keep with you as you go through the series so why are we doing a recap episode when we just spend another four episodes covering this book in detail we have two reasons for that first of all i just have a lot of fun recording pods with my boy drew here and i like doing that for you guys so if you want again we'd rather you not but you could totally skip this episode if you listen to the other four before this like drew said before you could listen to this in place of the first four or you could listen to the first four and skip this doesn't really matter. We don't fault you one bit if you skip them. But please listen. We need the money. <laughs> and the second reason, in my personal opinion, I think that if you go through a book and you keep certain things from the series as you read it in the back of your mind, if you continue to read through the rest of the series, it'll make the payoff for what goes down at the end or in the middle. Uh, doesn't matter if it pops up, if and when it pops up again. I think that just makes the payoff all the more better. Just like in this book, there's a couple of themes that you're going to see through the whole rest of the series. And I think you guys are going to really enjoy once you start to see it pop up more, or if you find some funny parts that are refer referenced later on and you get to see them pop up again, it's a nice little reminder. Uh, Drew, what's your perspective on this? Yeah, I agree. It's so hard, it's, even when it's us, when we're talking about chapter by chapter, to pick out one sentence and be like, oh, hey, by the way, remember this five books from now. And we do it, but then we get sidetracked and we end up talking about that book for an hour. So I'm hoping this episode is a lot more of us focusing and being like, okay, what were the key takeaways that are going to affect the series later on from the first book? Very well said, Drew, and I hope so too. So we are going to get into it shortly, but not before we do our typical spoiler warning. So want to reiterate for all you guys too, um, the change in format doesn't change our mission and what we're trying to accomplish in this podcast. Just want to emphasize it here. We are going to spend basically all of our time in the frame of the first book of the series. And we're aiming to give you guys no future spoilers while we give you guys little pieces to hold on to as you go along, just so, again, you don't forget about it when you keep reading, just because these things are really important and they're themes that the author really wants you to pick up on as you go through. So naturally, we are trying not to spoil anything, but just keep in mind accidents happen. We might let it slip something here or there. 
So please proceed with caution as you're listening if you have or not caught up on the series or if you are catching up starting the series from square one after not picking it up for a while. We don't want to spoil anything for you. If you guys feel the need to put down this pod in order to do that, go right ahead. We'll welcome you back with open arms when you're ready to join us again. Absolutely. And with that, it's time for our recap. So in our recap section, we start the book off by meeting the Dursley family who absolutely sucks. They live in a boring neighborhood with other boring neighbors, terrible people. Vernon just yells all the time. And they have a secret that they don't really want to get out, but they do actually do a pretty good job of hiding it, I will admit, honestly. They do a much better job hiding their secret than the rest of the Wizarding World. That's 100% true. Nobody in the Wizarding World knows how to talk quietly amongst their peers or keep things secret. When we get to Hogwarts, there's nothing, there's no secret. As soon as somebody knows, it's all over the school. Everybody knows everything. Everybody knows everybody's business. It's like living in a small town. You tell Jim Bob at the gas station something, as soon as you're home, your wife already knows about it. Things like that. That's exactly how it goes. And uh, if you don't agree with Ron and you think the Dursleys are amazing people like I do, just go ahead and head over on our YouTube and read the, or read, listen to the In Defense of the Dursleys video, because I'm sure you'll agree with me that they're very nice people who had the best intentions. If I see you leave comments on the Defense of Dursley's episode, I'm removing you from our podcast listener group. He doesn't have that power. Don't listen to him. I do not have that power. Drew is correct. (laughs) (laughs) Either way, as they go about their day, they hear about a bunch of strange things that go down, and they eventually come to be in possession of their nephew, who is Harry Potter, the boy with the lightning scar, the boy who lived, the man, the myth, the legend himself. And as he kind of grows up, we learned that the Dursley household is absolute garbage and they make him live in a creep, crappy little spider invested cabinet and they don't give him anything to play with. Like they give him old oversized clothes from Dudley. I'm pretty sure they don't pay any money for this kid if they, unless they absolutely have to. I think if he had coronavirus right now, they'd just lock him in the cabinet and just be like, just cough it out. You'll feel better. Like, and would not, just not good people. would that not be protecting the rest of the world by quarantining? the one with the coronavirus, exactly what our government has asked us to do. I don't understand the issue here, Ron. You know what? I changed my position. I think that <laughs> the Dursleys would think COVID-19 is fake and they would just walk around. Actually, I can't really tell. Petunia would probably wear a mask. She's a germ freak. I could see that. Vernon would say it's all like a liberal propaganda thing. Yeah, so. Vernon would never shut the factory down. Oh, 100%. No way. He'd be like Elon. They'd be dragging him out in chains. <laughs> But you see, as Harry grows up, he's basically a punching bag for the Dursleys. He's just a regular kid getting bullied. He just has weird things happen to him from time to time. When we say weird, we, we mean weird. Not weird like going through puberty. Weird like he's turning his teacher's hair blue by looking at it. Yeah, it's all super weird and hard to explain stuff. But he just kind of shrugs it off, which that's kind of weird to me too, because there's no other 11 year olds that this happens to that you know of at least. So yes, the entire plot of jumper is because an 11 year old finds out he has the ability to teleport. Harry also does that and just ignores it. Yeah, He's like, Oh, that was weird. How did I jump so high? Huh? No big deal. Yeah, won't he actually do- has those hops later, which is pretty funny. Yeah. I just connected that. I didn't notice that before. That's really funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Eventually, Harry goes from Harry the kid with weird shit happening to him to a little bit more extraordinary than that. He keeps getting all these weird letters after a mishap at the zoo where he shouldn't have even gone to the zoo because 
there were no sitters and they wouldn't leave him home alone because they thought he would blow up the house for some reason. Which he might which, have. Which, like, yeah, that's actually kind of a fair concern. I'll give them that. Yeah, I can't really blame him for that one. Yeah. So he keeps getting all these letters and the Dursleys gradually go crazy until eventually the Keeper of the Keys, who I'm realizing now is basically a glorified janitor based on title, kicks down their door and he's like, you're a wizard, Harry. He's like some half giant dude named Hagrid who this is about all the good he does throughout the first book unfortunately (laughs) this is the epitome of Hagrid's character in this book from here it's downhill yeah so for the good on Hagrid though he introduces Harry to the wizarding world and introduces him to all the backstory that he should have gotten but he never did and he shows them Diagon Alley which turned into an amazing park at Universal. Would totally recommend going there if I haven't said that enough already. It's awesome. Florian Fortescue's ice cream, great ice cream. Totally recommend. They have crazy flavors too. I'm pretty sure I got like the Earl Grey tea and some other weird one, some kind of like interesting cream flavor. Either way, hard ice cream. I'm not a huge fan of hard ice cream, but really good. Anyway, so Harry learns about all this magical stuff as he's traveling around. He gets every wizard's main tool there his first wand and Ollivander points out that his wand actually shares a phoenix tail feather with another wand who happens to be Lord Voldemort aka you know who aka the wizarding world is soft and they're afraid of a name and they just won't say it yes and it's a little weird trying to figure out in this magical world where people can make things fly and spit flames out of a stick that they're holding what's unique and what's not phoenixes are extremely unique they are very unique and usually it's kind of i'm pretty sure olivander says at one point that usually they just get one tail feather from a phoenix but i think they ended up getting two from this phoenix in particular yeah we'll learn more about who that phoenix is a little later on that becomes a little bit more important so harry goes through diagon alley he buys all his cool stuff he actually ends up having to go to platform nine and three quarters to travel to Hogwarts and doesn't know where that is. But again, wizards are terrible at keeping secrets. So he overhears who will become, who will come to know as the Weasley family, who is a fantastic and wholesome family, maybe too big for their own good. They can't really afford things, which at the same time, maybe they should be able to do some magic to make their house a little better, make living conditions a little bit better, but that's none of my business. Yeah, the only reason they say they're still poor, even though they're wizards, is that you can't duplicate money. But you can duplicate food, right? People make food out of nothing. You can duplicate water. You can duplicate any resource you want other than money. So I feel like they're just not intelligent. You actually can't create food by magic. You could use magic to cook the food, but you cannot create it. Awkward. But you could, like, create fish, right? You could probably like not trans- cooked fish, just a fish swimming in the lake. You might be able to transform something into a fish. Yeah, and then you magically cook that fish. I feel like they're just not thinking about it hard enough, and they're okay being poor. That's just a magical loophole right there, but I digress. We come to find Harry sitting with his new pal, Ron Weasley, gangly, gingered, in all his glory. And he ends up making friends with this kid who is actually super insecure because he comes from such a giant family and everybody in his family's already accomplished things. And he is brand new to the scene and 
as of now, has no pretty special talents as far as we know. And I want to stress that, again, because the way you said it is the actual accurate reason why Ron is down on himself is because all of his siblings have already accomplished so much that he feels like a Weasley has done everything they can at Hogwarts, so there's nothing left for him to do. A lot of people just assume it's because he's poor. He doesn't care that he's poor. That's just something that Malfoy makes fun of him for. He cares that he doesn't think he has a niche that he can jump into and be Ron Weasley. Yeah, he sees it that the only way he can really stand out is if he accomplishes everything that his brothers have accomplished at once. And he also, he kind of does hate being poor. He brings it up every so often because they all just have secondhand things all the time. Right, but that's more about not having cool stuff than being down on himself. Very correct. Very fair point. And we also get our first couple glimpses of Hermione Granger, who is a muggle-born girl and very intelligent, probably the cleverest witch of her year as far as we know of for her. And Neville Longbottom, who is a little bit oafy, little not super bright as far as anybody knows, doesn't really stand up anywhere, stand out anywhere, unfortunately. We also get another run-in. We had run into him previously at Diagon Alley, but we run into Draco Malfoy, who is King Twat himself, and his two cronies, Crabbe and Goyle. And they ultimately become the thorn in Harry and Ron and eventually Hermione's side as we travel through the rest of the series. So we ultimately arrive at school and find that we really love divisiveness and prejudice at this school. So as soon as all these kids show up, they get divided into houses where groupthink is allowed to exist and everybody just has similar character traits. When it comes time for Harry to get sorted, he really doesn't want to be in Slytherin with Malfoy, and I don't blame him because Malfoy's a bitch. And also because he's heard a lot of bad things about that house. So ultimately, he gets to choose Gryffindor, and that's where he ends up. Yeah, um, we went in-depth during the chapter analysis, just key points, the reason he picks Gryffindor as a reminder, because the Weasleys, he's already met them, he loves them. Uh, Hagrid had nothing but good things to speak about it, and the only Slytherin that he knows is a complete tool bag. So that is why he's very against Slytherin. Facts. Yeah, he hates all everything that has to do with Slytherin. You know, from what we've seen of him, can't really blame him. Not one bit. So after the sorting, we kind of get the ups and downs of typical school life, where naturally, unprovoked, Snape is a huge asshole, and he's super mean to Harry. We come to find out that apparently per Dumbledore, Harry's dad had saved Snape at one point and Snape hated being in his debt and they did not get along during school so that's part of it Uh, the prejudice just keeps getting passed down along the line as unfortunate as it is and if either of us says per Dumbledore before a sentence you can just flip a coin to decide if that's a truth or a lie Dumbledore the puppet master exactly (laughs) so besides that Harry just kind of goes about his classes um, trying to learn everything that he can but he ultimately finds something that he's really good at, and that turns out to be flying on a broom and playing Quidditch when he rescues a possession that Malfoy stole from Neville with a crazy like 50-foot straight dive to scoop that thing out of the air. Harry's real good at picking things up and putting them down. Quintessential jock, first time he touches a broom, he's just automatically the best at sports of all time. Yeah, he's super legit, and... It's funny how he thinks that McGonagall is going to beat him for disobeying the rules with a cane named Wood, but it turns out that's just his captain, and he is going to learn more of the game from Oliver Wood. We then get into Malfoy being super pissed that Harry didn't get expelled, and he actually pulls a pretty solid prank on the entire gang 
where he convinces Harry to meet him in the trophy room for a midnight duel. Ron and Harry decide to go because bros for life. And Neville and Hermione open, ultimately cause a little bit of trouble and end up adding to the gang as they go along. From there, they just learn that Hogwarts has a pretty interesting secret in that third floor corridor that was off limits, and that is a giant ravenous dog with three heads. Again, um, not a normal thing in the wizarding world. <laughs> yeah, this is actually kind of off the chain in terms of what goes on in the wizarding world, so very different there. I saw a meme today that um, it was when Harry told the others that he can speak parcel tongue, talk to snakes, and Hermione's like, oh, that's that's weird. Harry's like, what do you mean that's weird? We're, we're wizards. We literally just create things out of our wands. What do you mean me talking in a different language is weird? <laughs> now it's just funny to me what's weird to a wizard and what's not. Yeah, basically everything is supposed to be weird, technically. Yeah. Or like super offshoot stuff is weird. Like being able to speak to snakes, definitely weird. Even weird for wizards. But so. like dragons, not weird whatsoever. Yeah, just another animal, dude. People train them. Big deal. Yeah. Ultimately, the kids somehow escape, and they do not get in trouble either, which is pretty bonkers. Even through all this, they're still not friends with Hermione Granger, and they think Neville is just like a cowardly goofball. But after an attempted troll attack, uh, Hermione joins the trio, and they all become fast friends. Very wholesome, very cool. Hermione ultimately ends up helping the kids out with their homework, so she is the the copy queen for all the kids right now. Like, they just copy their work off of her, and she is a pretty good resource for them, even more so for her knowledge of spells when you get into scenarios like Harry's first Quidditch match, where he ends up having his broom disobey orders, more or less, uh, from a jinx on it. And Hermione ends up saving the day by, she thinks, lighting Snape's robes on fire, but it's actually from knocking over Quirldemort in the crowd. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so... The kids ultimately find out about the stone, and I think this is where they find out about it. They end up finding out that that might be what was taken from that vault at Kringgods that was almost burgled, but they're still trying to figure out the significance of it. Yeah, during Christmas, I think, right? Because Hermione, when she leaves to go back Mm -hmm. with her family, they still haven't found it, and she said uh, she'll be upset if they find it without her, and then they found it without her. Yeah, and also, spoiler, she's like, keep looking into it. They do not keep looking into it. They do not. They just (laughs) stumble upon it like any good Gryffindor. They're like, oh, let's play chess and have snowball fights. But ultimately, Harry goes out gets an invisibility cloak for Christmas, which allows the wearer to become completely invisible, no questions asked, no strings attached. Very cool. Big-time gift. Super unique. Incredibly unique. Super rare. Um, Most other invisibility cloaks, you'll hear that they end up kind of losing their sheen in time like they get tattered but this cloak has withstood the test of time and it is still working as it did when it was created so big time get there i actually wonder if there's a article on pottermore about how james got the cloak i'd be interested in reading that can't say right now but you will find out later oh you we do know we vaguely know oh, okay. but we find out later on good much later on good to know okay yeah so in his first nighttime romp to kind of figure out more about Nicholas Fumel, he ultimately stumbles upon the Mirror Verised, and this leads to his first big teaching session with Dumbledore, as short as it is, because he sees his entire family and it instantly engrosses him because the dude's never seen the rest of his like actual family that would actually be nice to him before. So runs into that in the mirror, and it draws him in. He wants to keep going back, but 
you know when Ron Weasley is telling you to avoid something and that it's dangerous that you should probably listen because yeah. he's everybody's favorite C student. <laughs> yes. And Harry does go straight crack addict with this mirror. This man's itching during – he's not even during class because this is during winter break. man's just sitting there playing chess next to the Christmas tree like, man, I got I to gotta go look at that mirror again. Man, I got I to gotta see – not for real. He's like not eating. He's like not doing anything else. Like Ron keeps asking him to do stuff. He's like, no, I don't feel like it. And then he keeps trying to go to the mirror, but then Dumbledore catches him in the act and he tells him to cut it out because it's not good for his psyche. The gang ends up reuniting and they keep solving the Flamel mystery piece by piece. So it's pretty cool seeing these kids kind of work together and put the pieces together, figure out what's going down and ultimately find out what the big mystery is at this school. We also start to learn truly how much of a moron Hagrid is when he won in a dragon egg. And uh, we talked about dragons before. Super illegal. Can't have those as a pet. And he keeps insisting on having it even after he gets found out by Malfoy because, of course, he didn't close the windows far enough so nobody could see. Good job, Hagrid. You moron. The kids end up having to bail him out, which, like, the kids shouldn't be helping you out, dude. Come on. Please, yeah, please don't go to 11-year-olds for help hiding your illegal pet from your boss. Yeah, my dude, you're a grown adult. Don't be doing that. Especially when the whole reason you're in this situation may be allegedly a different illegal pet that you had allegedly in the past. Exactly. And, of course, what would happen when they're trying to bail their buddy Hackard out, but they get caught and they end up losing a ton of house points and get sent to detention. Yep, this is uh, when we learn that house points mean nothing and nobody keeps track of the score. Exactly. We go from losing like 1.2.5 points for infractions or gaining those for successes and as rewards to fuck you minus 50 because I said so, which craziness. Yes. Of course, the result of this is Hagrid runs their detention, which just thinking about it now, that's a huge slap in the face that they have to go to detention with him when they got detention because of him. Yeah. Extremely. And of course, yeah, of course... They were in trouble for being out late, so they have to go to detention at 11 o'clock at night and go in the spooky evil forest that everybody says to avoid if you don't want to die to find something that is killing something, which, well, that something's a unicorn, but makes sense, right? Send the kids to their doom. Why not? Yep. With minimal adult supervision. Yeah. Come very close to losing the boy who lived when uh, Quirldemore attacks him after sucking unicorn blood out of the unicorn's neck. Which is shocking when you see how many people were trying to protect Harry later in the series that they just were like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Go send him with the non-wizard half-giant out into the forest of death. Yeah, and even at that point, they remade teams and they split up. So it was another 11-year-old and a dog that won't attack to save them. Yep, great plan. Harry, you're fucking stupid now. <laughs> He's an um, idiot. So ultimately, the kids end up finding out that well, it's not really the kids. Harry just ends up putting two and two together, and he realizes, wait, like, it's awfully convenient that he had something Hagrid wanted and wanted to know so much about, like, creatures he takes care of because, as we find out, Fluffy's part of the guard of the Sorcerer's Stone. So, awfully convenient. Good job, Harry, figuring that out. Yep. And they and end up going to Hagrid, and Hagrid gives away even more details. Like, oh, you just got to play music, and it'll go right to sleep, and you go right past it. And of course, like any good Gryffindor students, all three of them immediately think Snape is the bad guy because he's a Slytherin. As is tradition. As and is tradition. 
and also like good Gryffindor students, uh, probably the best Gryffindor students, they're like, all right, we got to go solve the problem. Might as well not tell any adults about it. No, they tried to tell McGonagall. They actually did she... try to tell Dumbledore, and McGonagall stopped them, and then they still tried to tell her. So I, I do have to give them props for that. They did immediately try to go to the two best adults in the school. Yeah, but McGee, in a rare misstep, says, oh, the stone is safe. No, it is clearly not safe. Yeah. If, if they had sent her to Hagrid, or if they brought Hagrid with them, I hope she would have believed it more. But without Hagrid there, it's hard for her to believe anything. To be fair, she doesn't have the most confidence in him, as we see at the beginning of the book, when she's like, oh, you trusted Hagrid to get the boy? Right, so if Hagrid walks in and is like, I screwed up, and everybody's like, oh, mm, yep, big shock there. All right, let's go <laughs> Let's go save the world. <laughs> the, th- the worst thing about that is I don't even think he realized he screwed up when he was telling the kids about this. He just went about it like it was just like normal to do. Yeah, he really didn't know. Oh, my God. Bad Hagrid book. Bad Hagrid book. Yep. So the kids ultimately end up going down the trapdoor to get the stone, and we sacrifice both party members along the way. Ron, being a hero on the chessboard, uh, sacrificing himself for the betterment of the team to win the game. Uh, big props to Ronnie Dubs. And Hermione ends up going back at Snape's potion, potion riddle uh, in order to alert Dumbledore to the possible dangers that are going down in there. And, of course, luckily, Dumbledore had the wherewithal to know it was a trap, so he was already on his way back by the time the kids found him. So, good stuff there. Yep. As, crosses through. as big a troll Dumbledore is, he is a genius. He is a genius. He is like a mad genius. He reminds me of Boomy from Avatar. <laughs> I was going to say he reminds me of Rick, but... <laughs> oh, man. You were right. I, I had to work that in there. I did. You did. It mostly I knew it was going to come in but... there at some point. So Harry bursts through the door, finds out it's Quirrellmore, but he doesn't know it's Quirrellmore yet. He just knows it's Quirrell until Quirrell's like, "Let me take my hat off." And evil Voldy face in the back of his head, which is absolutely disgusting. Nose um, included. Yes, nose included in the movies if you're paying attention. So R.I.P. to Voldy's nose after one book. It's a shame he almost had it. Harry kills his nose. He does, and he viciously murders Quirrell apparently in the movies. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, completely turns him to dust. Yeah, Um, that man gone. Yeah, so Harry actually gets the best of Quirrell and Voldemort, but the effort basically almost kills him until Dumbledore is able to save the day like he does, and just barely not a minute too late. They have a nice little talk in the hospital wing where we find that Fred and George also tried to send him a Hogwarts toilet seat like they joked about sending to Ginny at the beginning of the book. So I thought that was funny, but of course, Madame Pomfrey's like, that ain't sanitary, we're not doing that. I've seen what you kids do to those toilets. We're not letting that go down. <laughs> Good call on her part. Yeah. And then to end the book, we have the year-end feast where the kids go to celebrate the House Cup champion for the year. And Dumbledore pulls some bullshit and gives out some super last-minute points in order to give Gryffindor the W. He straight up says, this is my game. I make the rules. I get the results I want. And with that, everybody goes back home. And we end the book after one very exciting year at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. What a run. I think I covered that in about like 20 minutes. How'd I do? You did. did that, was, that was uh, 30 minutes, but you did cover everything. <laughs> you got through every important point. So, yes, obviously, if you read the book, that all probably seemed boring but you know you got to keep it fresh you, maybe you haven't read the book in a few years if you guys aren't listening to the chapter by chapter that's that's the whole thing here is i haven't read the books in a decade probably more 
So yeah, I, I need the little refresher every now and then that Ron is able to give me. So maybe you guys are in that same point. But now we get into the fun part, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I know life these books, so I know pretty much all of them like the back of my hand. Like I could pick out my favorite chapters and I do this game with like one of my friends back east where she's a big Harry Potter fan too. And if I ever see her like snap story or Instagram story or if she like sends me something where she's reading the books, I'll be like, show me your bookmark and I'll she'll like show me where her bookmark is in the book and I'll try to guess where she is in the series. Okay. I, I usually get pretty close too, so I'm pretty stoked about it. I didn't even know that. Now I'm a little freaked out. I'm not gonna lie. You know, that's. I think that makes me qualified for the job. It definitely makes you qualified for a straitjacket. I think I'm way past that point. <laughs> if we're being totally honest with ourselves, that's okay. I'm far past that in a, for One Piece and a couple other series. So, teach their own fantasy series to escape this insane world we live in. Exactly. You know, good books like this are a great escape. So no faults to you if you are a hyper fan of anything at all. So sit back and enjoy. Anyway, now we are going to get into the section of the pod where we cover some key themes throughout the story that we want you guys to keep in mind as you read through the books. I have gone through and I picked out a couple things that I remember, and I'll tell you a little bit about where you really see them in this book and why you should keep them in mind going forward, as spoiler-free as possible, of course. This book is basically the very early throes of the hero's journey, and you kind of see the evolution of our characters from very ordinary to the journey to becoming extraordinary. With the hero's journey, you have our hero, our main hero, Harry Potter, and he starts it off pretty typical of how you see a lot of these heroes. He doesn't have any particular power, so to speak, of that set him above except for his survival against the Dark Lord that nobody else has done. So he does have some powers that set him apart. However, he doesn't know too much about this side of himself, so he can't really apply any of this just yet. He has the potential to be extraordinary, I guess we'll say, but he hasn't reached it truly yet. But that's all part of the journey. He will work his way towards becoming extraordinary. Him and his friends start to do some things along the way that show that they have that potential, certainly from Harry and Ron taking down the mountain troll early on to the trio as a whole, making their way past all the defenses in front of the Sorcerer's Stone in order to protect it. So you start to see that as we go through the book and it sets up their evolution to becoming truly extraordinary young adults as we go further through the series. Yeah, and that's the unique thing about Harry Potter is that we don't go through the hero's journey in each book. We go through it overall as the series there is little hints in each book but just the the thought process and planning that went into the series before she wrote anything down must have been immense oh totally and from from this point you kind of you don't get too far into it i'll say i think that's a pretty fair assessment of it this is still truly the hero working their way through their world and kind of figuring out truly what their place is coming to terms with what their place is and getting an understanding of what their abilities are and where they're going to flesh out as they go forward. Yeah, Harry essentially learns nothing about himself or Voldemort in this book. Nothing important, at least. Exactly. It's more of an awareness that the big bad evil guy at the end truly does still exist and that he has a lot of powers to hone before he's ready to ultimately defeat that. Because everybody thought he was gone before, but clearly he was back again, and this probably isn't the end of it. And it was uh, a lot of Harry gathering his homies that'll help him later. 
he had to build those friendships in this book to solidify what they'll have to go through in later books. Exactly. And that brings me to the next point where we do start to see a lot of the power of choice, this and the ability to grow your own way. So the stage is just largely set in terms of the power of choice. And we see it at a couple key junctures in here. The first point being the decision not to shake Draco Malfoy's hand and be his friend on the train. The story would have been completely different were Harry to accept his offer of friendship and camaraderie at that point. It would have taken him down a very different path that probably would have not really set him up for success in the end, even though some of the traits of Slytherin did kind of play to him with the ability to be cunning and super intelligent and coming up with solutions to things. Yeah. I actually can see a series where that happens, where Harry goes and joins Slytherin and Dumbledore and Snape are still as key to his story as they would have been, but it just would have been so much more depressing towards the middle he would have realized that he made the wrong friends, followed the wrong people, believed in the wrong beliefs, and he would have had to reset probably right around Goblet of Fire, Order of the Phoenix. It just, it would have been so much to try to overcome when it's already a 14-year-old trying to save the world. Yeah, I think that would have had to create like a Prince Zuko-like turn where he ultimately gets what he thought he wanted. But when it comes down to it, he realizes it wouldn't be what he truly wanted and he wouldn't feel truly fulfilled. And like, let's be real, what would Pansy Parkinson, Millicent Bolstrode, and Crab and Goyle add to his friend group? Probably absolutely nothing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And he would realize that at some point and then his friend group would be non-existent. It would, it would probably be at some point Malfoy would put him to a task that he would have to realize internally he shouldn't be doing and then he would have to reevaluate what he'd done up to that point yeah it would be hard to see him having any kind of success going forward without like ron and hermione by his side and without sort of the friendships he's built from the quidditch team and things of that nature yeah the ron and hermione are just such key elements to the story you can't take them out 100 percent agreed that kind of falls by the wayside mostly for ron for people that are mostly in fan in uh the movie world in terms of how they digest this media but as you read the books you kind of get an idea of truly what his value to the team is which i was going to say it's funny because the next thing is the importance of friendship exactly um i want to touch on one more piece of the power of choice though and the big one is well we kind of touched on it a little bit but sorting hat right becomes very important because again that would have set him up to being in slytherin with people that wouldn't have really helped him out along his journey as much as he would want to like Malfoy's family has the money and the pure blood connections but besides that they don't really offer much like Draco's a good student for the most part we end up finding out that he was really he was basically second in the class behind Hermione but other than that he doesn't really offer much as far as I can tell yeah this the sorting hat is just the choice that Harry makes yeah so Drew you made a good point too where we get to the next part with the importance of friendship and the role of friends in a friend group. Something that they touch upon pretty like a lot here is that not everybody has the same set of skills. Um, everybody brings their own value to their group of friends. And it's important to recognize that as you go forward, like you'll see Harry Potter is definitely the leader. Uh, he leads the group. He is the boy of destiny. He 
has a lot of good in him and he is the one that always wants to do what's right he is like morally very good for the most part and he is just always in tune with what he feels is justice and what he wants to go forward with you get got hermione who is the brains of the group um she has situations like you see throughout this book where maybe she's not socially all there like she has a little bit of trouble relating with people before they even touch on how she doesn't really have any friends because she threw herself out into her identity is that i know everything i am the smartest one in the room and you know how people like that are they could be completely unbearable but she gets to the point where she realizes by being with her friends, like, oh, it's okay to break rules every so often. I'm going to use my intelligence to help my friends out. I'm going to use my intelligence to help us along in our journey. I am going to be a good piece of glue in the friend group. Absolutely. And speaking of glue, that's where Ronnie Dubs comes in. Never the most gifted wizard, especially because he's got a hand-me-down wand right now. Not the smartest dude. He's just like a very average student, even though... He ultimately ends up getting into some pretty high-level classes later on, but he is kind of the heart of the team. He usually provides a lot of the humor for the group. He keeps everybody grounded, and you'll see later on kind of in the series, anytime there's a tough or like a little fight between everybody in the group, Harry's like, oh, hanging out with Hermione alone sucks. Like, I want to hang out with Ron too, or like just things of that nature. It just ends up being that way. He relates to Ron a little bit better. He has a good heart and he'll kind of jump to defend his friends wherever he can and you see it a bunch of times in this book where like anytime Malfoy tries to step to Harry Ron just jumps right up he's like you better watch your step things like that so everybody has their own role and not everybody's going to be the forefront not everybody's going to be Mr. Popular Mr. Super Smart Mr. Super Cool uh, anything like that everybody has their own role and when they come together there's a good cohesion there yeah not everyone can be Cedric Diggory Exactly. Cedric is the man. <laughs> um, but to your point about everyone having their role in the group, I've always strongly believed that you can't put any one student into a singular house. You cannot say that Hermione is purely Gryffindor. She only has Gryffindor traits. And with the three slash four members of our group, Neville kind of being that fringe member, you really see all four of the houses shown with the secondary house, where Harry is that charismatic quick-thinking, intuitive Slytherin, and Hermione is the genius, brilliant, hard-study Ravenclaw. Neville cares for everyone, friend or not. He's always looking out for the weak ones and the ones that are being bullied and seeing where he can help. And Ron is just that guy, that true Gryffindor. They're, they're, his second house is just more head-bursting-through-brick-wall Gryffindor, where if you are friends with him, he will kill everyone else to protect you. Exactly. And I think that's why you really need complex characters like this. No, nobody is black and white, like you said. That's 100% the case. And speaking of the dividing of the Sorting Hat, we also get some early themes of division and very light prejudice from this point forward. I, do, I would say pretty heavy prejudice. You think so? I mean, we Where haven't would... even met the house elves yet. Oh, very true. <laughs> that's a, that's real prejudice. Right now we're seeing prejudice between members of the same race and seeing how bad it still is. Just between Slytherins and Gryffindors, it, they're literally prejudiced on a talking hat puts you in a different house. That's very true, and not just prejudice, but division. So it's automatically like 
you hang out with these people, you hang out with these people. Right. You don't see a lot of like cross house interaction just yet, which is kind of a bummer. You only really see it in competition, which again is not great if which, you're not allowing these kids to like really come together in any way. Like you'll see that they have classes to like two classes, two uh, houses will share a class, but like even still, that's almost competition where it's Gryffindor and Slytherin and Potions class and they just make fun of each other the entire class or just goof off and talk smack the entire time and even you could go into existing prejudices where Snape had it in his mind that he was not going to like the son of James Potter as soon as he started school at Hogwarts and he makes that very clear from the first class absolutely and it this is when the red flags start start getting raised about Dumbledore and the founders of Hogwarts because this goes into legitimate military psychology where they want you to be split into groups and you to become a family unit, cohesive killing unit with that family that you're in. So they don't want you going and interacting with all these other houses. They want you side by side with your people and they tell you exactly who your people are. And then they pitch you against these other people. Ender's game. The, the first half of Ender's game is a great example um, anyone who's watching My Hero Academia, just they even split the grades up into two classes. This is a very normal military psychological thing to do when you're attempting to train someone for a combat lifestyle, which is super strange when this is supposed to just be like a private wizarding school where no one's supposed to be fighting anyone else. Yeah, it creates a very clear, if you're not with us, you're against us type of mentality, which is not what you want in kids and you see kind of the older wizarding generation as you go along they still have a lot of those prejudices buried within them absolutely and they act on it just about all the time so which is going to happen when you build this motto into these 11 year olds saying you are better than that other group in this certain thing they're going to hold that for the rest of their lives exactly so now i think we're going to get into the next piece which you touched on dumbledore a little before but we're going to talk about dumbledore as a puppet master in terms of how he has control over the events that go down in, in the school and how he's kind of like an omniscient all-seeing entity. So it starts right from the Mirror of Erised, where he ends up catching Harry one night when he goes to it, and Harry's like super surprised that he's there, and Dumbledore's just spouting off his knowledge of all his other trips there and how he went with Ron, and he's like, how did you know that? And he's just like, I don't need a cloak to be invisible, which is pretty badass. But he's just like showing right from there that, that he has a good grasp of what's going on in his school. However, not good enough that he basically lets Voldemort walk in the door. But that's besides the point. I think he wanted the challenge, so he let that go down. But it is interesting that he did fly to the ministry that day, but I do think he knew Voldemort had a presence in the school. He just didn't know when he was going to strike, so he. He not he didn't let his guard down, but he was waiting for the moment to see how his troops would handle it because he's training these new pawns to be a part of his his weapons later. I wouldn't even call it his army. He wants them to be his weapons later, um, and he wanted to see what they were capable of. Yeah, so you see that he's always kind of pulling the strings, and he's the one that bequeathed the invisibility cloak to Harry. He's like, I know this kid is going to need this for something. Let's give it to him and see how he uses it. Let's see if he's truly worthy of having something this powerful in his possession, which maybe not because he loses it a lot. But... I was going to say, gave it to him twice <laughs> in this one book. Yeah, for real. And he ultimately, when he's talking to the Harry at the end, 
and Harry asked about Nicholas Flamel, Dumbledore even remarks that he did do the whole thing correctly, which means that he wanted Harry to figure out what was going down for the most part. And probably not great to put your 11-year-old pupils up to taking a swipe at the Dark Lord to see how they handle fighting against him. He very easily could have gotten at least one of the kids in this group killed by doing that, which I feel like he might consider it's a noble sacrifice, even though he has a deep love for all the students at his school and would love to keep them safe. Uh, yeah, I, I think he would have been willing to make that sacrifice to push Harry further on along his journey. That's, that's crazy to me. So just keep in mind that... Everything that goes down, it might seem, and we might talk about it like Dumbledore doesn't know what's going on, but we're doing our best to keep up the illusion for you guys, and he totally knows what's going down. He knows everything. And that's why I was saying earlier that his plan and Snape's plan wouldn't have changed whatever house Harry was in. Harry is the only important piece in this puzzle. Every other piece can be moved, melded, broken around him. Exactly. Exactly, that's a very, very good point. So Harry so, chooses to have Ron and Hermione be these pillars of his life, but Dumbledore couldn't care less if they're pillars or not. Yeah, he just knows what their skill sets are, and he kind of allows that to go down to kind of see like how they make their fit there and to see how the group continues to evolve as Absolutely. we go forward. Yeah. So the next thing we get to is this is kind of cheesy, but I think it's very valid and we don't see it too much just yet but the true power of a mother's love for their child is one of the big things here the way we see it in this case is we learn from dumbledore that that's possibly the reason why harry didn't die on that fateful night from his mom having that deep connection to him even though he was just a little baby and she put her life on the line for him and that ended up protecting him in some way so we ultimately learned a little bit more about how that went down But for now, just keep that piece in mind that that's what kept him alive all those years ago. And we'll learn more about that in the future. Next point here is that Dumbledore touches on it at the end of the book as well in his his speech for the feast where he's giving away all those bullshit points to the kids uh, (laughs) that courage exists in a lot of different ways in a lot of different forms. It manifests itself in a variety of ways. So... You see it when Ron says he's willing to be Harry's second for the midnight duel. You see it when Hermione lies to the professors as to why they were all in the bathroom fighting the troll. You see it when Neville tells the kids at the end that I don't want you guys to lose any more points for Gryffindor. I'm trying to keep you guys out of trouble. I'm trying to keep the house out of trouble. And you see it when Harry goes to confront the stone by him, confront what he thinks is Professor Snape at the stone by himself. So people will show their courage in a variety of different ways, and there will always be a bunch of different ways that people show courage throughout this series, some more powerful than others, and some a little more discreet and not as in-your-face as others. Yeah, absolutely, and it doesn't only have to be Gryffindors. That is true. It's not always Gryffindors. There are other people in other houses that do show courage as well. Keep that in mind. Cedric is probably one of the most courageous people in the series. I would probably say so, yeah. He's a solid dude. And then the last major thing that I had for a takeaway was the fear of a name piece. Dumbledore engraves it in Harry's head very early on, despite other influences around him, that if he continues to be afraid of the name Voldemort, then he will never be able to defeat him. Fear of the name just makes you more afraid of the thing itself. So that's why Harry always says Voldemort whenever 
anybody brings that up and he even scares the bejesus out of Hagrid at the end of the book when he screams it at him so shows that Harry has a lot of courage especially since he's faced him now twice technically and he's won both times scoreboard Harry specifically against Voldemort it is 2-0 yes yes that is the only series I care about (laughs) Voldemort against literally anyone else a million to nothing yeah fair because everybody else sucks (laughs) And with that, that covers just about all of our major points that we want you all to keep in mind as you continue to read through the books. So now we're going to give out some awards. Drew, give me your favorite scene in this book. This one was so tough. I feel like I say that for one award every time we do this, but (laughs) it really was. I tried going back and looking at the awards that I gave per each one, but as usual with normal sports, you can earn an award before the uh, all-star break and then after the all-star break and then not win the actual award because it's weird like that but um indeed my favorite scene probably has to be harry looking at the mirror for the last time and talking with dumbledore there's just so many little knowledge nuggets thrown in there and learning about harry's family and kind of getting that first glimpse into dumbledore's true intentions for this series very well put and then i would say that my favorite scene was the end of year feast as surprising as that is i made fun of dumbledore for giving out a lot of those points at the end just to kind of manipulate gryffindor into the w but aside from that it's a really great time to see all the members of our trio shine as well as neville so it's good to see them recognized for all of their hard work during the year well not really during the year mostly at the end of the year and a great bounce back from mcgonagall absolutely tanking their house points (laughs) yes so our next award is the MVP of the book. Now, Drew, who is your MVP? This one was weird for me. It instantly came to me, and then I spent 10 minutes arguing. I'm like, why would it be him? There's no way it's him. It can't be him. And then I just it, I couldn't change my own mind. So I'm going with, with good old Ron Weasley. He huh. is the reason that Harry goes to Gryffindor in the end. Sets him up on a path of true friendship and courage instead of deceit and slitherinness. Um, <laughs> constantly is helping, consistently pushing Harry to better himself, not necessarily as a student, but just as a man. Uh, opens Harry up to this family unit, the the rest of the Weasleys that would have otherwise been non-existent, and actually does come in clutch when it comes to taking down Voldemort and learning learning about the stone and all that stuff. So in the end, I had to give it to Ron. You know, that's a take I've never heard before, but it's refreshing and I like it. For my MVP of the book, I have to go with our title character, HP. Now, that might seem like a cop-out because it's literally his series, but... The kid starts from absolute nothing. He has no background like a lot of these other kids do in terms of just like knowing how this world works, knowing how to do things, knowing certain the existence of certain spells, knowing the even the existence of magic. And he has this destiny attached to him mostly that he has no clue about. And he's got a big reputation to live up to. And he works really hard and ultimately gets to a point where he shows that he has the chops to protect the wizarding world and he can handle taking on moldy voldy and he just shows a lot of courage he's the shining gryffindor example as well where he's like i don't care what lies ahead i'm going to face it head on and defeat it and 
do what I can to make things right. So, and that was one of my rules coming into this MVP voting was uh, obviously it is his series. I feel like Goblet of Fire is the only book where you could even make an argument that someone out MVPs Harry. So, yeah, I'm going to always say Harry's number one. So then my actual MVP is going to be whoever I name as like the number two guy. Fair point. And I dig that you gave Ronnie Dubs his moment of recognition. So. I t- compared to yeah. every other character, Hermione doesn't really do much until about halfway through the book. Malfoy's not Malfoy has that one clutch moment for the midnight duel, but then that doesn't even work out. Neville doesn't do too much. Dumbledore does does about the same as Neville. Yeah, just pulling the strings in the background. Right. So, like, really, when you do process elimination like that, it's Ron. Ron did the most other than Harry in this book. It's a very good point. I like where your head was at with that one. That's a very refreshing take. However, this is where we both agree, actually, this time, and our least valuable player of this book. Unfortunately, we've got to give it to everybody's favorite half-giant man, Rubius Hagrid. Uh, yep. Yeah, I'm trying to quickly think of another half giant in any other fictional book so that I don't have to call Hagrid my favorite, but, uh, I can't right now. So I uh, guess technically, yes, he is our favorite half giant man. Yeah. I was trying to find a way to not make him the LVP because I was thinking back. Well, he hunted, he grabbed Harry from the wreckage. He brought him into the wizarding world. He took him to Diagon Alley. He bought him his owl, who becomes a very faithful pet to him. But after that, he just causes nothing but trouble for these kids. Yeah, he's useless after that. If He's not even useless. He's detrimental. If you want to hear my take, just go listen to our final chapter review on the book. I'm not going to go and rip Hagrid into one like I did already. It's just, we've been there. Yeah, we've, we've beat the poor guy up enough already. I've, so. so quickly, let's look at other people who could have been. You brought up a good point. There's no one else. Who could have been the other least valuable player? My immediate thought was Quirrell because he's not even the main villain, but he does a ton in this book. He just doesn't do any of it in front of us because we think it's Snape the whole time. Yeah, you don't even find out his impact to the end. I think that shouldn't spare him from being able to be the LVP. But, but... He, he tricks every other professor into giving him the secrets of their puzzles that's true um that's like that's awesome that's mvp worthy of villains like he, he does an amazing job and the entire while he's doing it while voldemort's screaming inside of his brain yeah that's some that's some winning for him right there not bad mcgonagall um, might actually be the other argument which i would never do that to her really i was thinking percy weasley actually he's not an a least valuable player though he's helpful as uh, a prefect he's he's just not the kind of prefect you'd want see i think he's not that even that good of a prefect because he doesn't even know that ron and harry leave the group to go fight the troll he's so far up his own ass thinking he leads everything that he's not even actually taking care of these kids okay yeah you're right you could you could definitely make that argument for me i'd probably be on your side in a few minutes after that (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think like it's hard to find somebody who took harder L's than Hagrid did in this book, as hard, as unfortunate as it is. Yes, but screw Percy right. Weasley. Yeah, exactly. Percy sucks. Only awful Weasley. Actually, there's no. another one. No, there's I like all one. the other Weasleys. Percy's, there's another one. Percy's the one that goes and joins the Ministry later, right? Or is that one of yeah. the other ones? Yeah, yeah. What's, what's the other older brother? It's Percy, Charlie, and... 
Bill Weasley. Bill's the man. Bill's cool. Which one is the dragon? It's Charlie, right? Charlie's dragon guy. Well, I we have... barely get to see him, too. I have no idea which Weasley you're talking about, then. Not in the immediate family. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, whatever. Yeah, it's later on. Don't worry about it now. I'll talk about how much she sucks later. <laughs> okay. So, was there a part in the book that truly frustrated you or made you angry? Other than every time I read Haggard's name, yes. It was the other massive rant that I had. Uh, I believe it was in the third section of our chapter-by-chapter analysis. I don't remember which. I think it was 14 or something. Um, When I just lost it on Hermione for not doing what she's solely there in the group to do, which is be the intelligent mother of the group and remember to pick up the clothes after Harry drops them on the floor and then analyze the situation and say, okay, we could either all get in trouble and go to detention with Hagrid because he's going to lead our detention or we could just tell McGonagall what happened and have Hagrid take the fall like the adult that he is. But no, she forgets the invisibility cape and then doesn't say anything while they're all getting yelled at and losing 150 points. So, yeah, that's a rough. Yeah, that's a that's a Mondo L. So, the thing that frustrated me the most because I don't think we beat up Hagrid enough when <laughs> he the kids are trying to convince him like we have a way to get rid of the dragon so you don't get in trouble, like let us do it and he basically fights against them and like doesn't want to do it and they have to convince him. You know this is illegal. Why are children who why are it's not I, I'm, oh my God, I don't have any words, but. <laughs> and as soon as Haggard one... gets talked into it by the kids, as soon as he understands, okay, you're right, I cannot keep this dragon, he should then be like, but I'm also not giving him to you to go send him off with Charlie. I'll go to Dumbledore, my closest, dearest friend who has always had my back, and bring the dragon to him. That should have been the immediate thought. Yeah, you know Dumbledore would cover for him. Right? <sighs> but no, he asked these 11 year olds to cover for him. Ugh, frustrating. So. Next award, what was your most hype quote? Was that the part that also got you angry? You didn't actually say. No. Yeah, that was what got me angry. That, you, we, we agreed on that one? Okay. Basically, yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, so we're on hype quote? That's right. So uh, mine was in your favorite section at the end there during the award ceremony when Gryffindor was tied with Slytherin, and you know Dumbledore's just sitting there. His... his uh, robe dress skirt thing yep whatever he wears getting a little tighter around the waist and he's just like oh boy oh i can't wait to drop this last one. Oh, by the way <laughs> it takes a great deal of bravery to stand up to our enemies but just as much to stand up to our friends because that is what started me on the long journey of loving neville longbottom draco malfoy shambles over at the slithering <laughs> table man is literally <laughs> crying on the outside and inside my father will hear about this. I'm going to sue all of you. Fun fact, uh, Jason Isaacs, who plays Lucius Malfoy, Draco's dad, he is actually the voice of Admiral Zhao in The Last Airbender. I just found that out recently. I did not know that. Yeah, and uh, Luke Skywalker is Fire Lord Ozai, in case you didn't know that either. I, I also did not know that. Mark <laughs> Hamill is an amazing voice actor. Yeah, he's a solid voice actor. I, um, I like him. The only thing I do know about Lucius Malfoy is he said he would love to come back and play some character. It doesn't need to be Lucius Malfoy again if they ever did a TV show. He would die to be a part of the TV show acting as well. It's so funny that basically that like the actors that played that family loved the series the most. Yeah, they really do. 
Tom Felton bleeds Harry Potter. He does. <laughs> he also got super ugly, so I don't blame him. <laughs> Poor guy. He makes fun of himself all the time compared to uh, to Neville's actor, who just went through the absolute glow-up of yeah. a lifetime. And it's also funny, too, because they're, like, best friends outside of the movie universe. But, like, in the books, Malfoy picks on Neville so much. Constantly. So funny. So my most hyped quote is actually from Ferenz the Centaur. Can't forget this quote where he says, Good luck, Harry Potter. The planets have been read wrongly before now, even by centaurs. I hope this is one of those times. And it's like, oh, shit, like. It's not looking good for Harry's destiny, according to the astrologists out there. Yeah, no. So, and that kind of bleeds into the the last award, the little nugget of knowledge. I almost used that one, but we, I feel felt like we touched on it enough during the chapter chapter analysis. Um, so the Ooh. one I went with was when we were in Ollivander's wand shop. First, he says how much Harry reminds him of Lily, and he remembers when Lily came in and got her wand and. He perfectly describes his, her wand because he's a genius Ravenclaw, like all genius Ravenclaws. <laughs> but then, like you touched on earlier, when he goes and gives Harry his actual wand at the end, he says the only one wand has ever been made with this Phoenix core before. And it's rather strange that it's Voldemort's. So oh. just something to keep in mind for later. Spicy. Spice. So <laughs> my piece to keep in mind, I think it really rears its head in half-blood prince but i really liked how the power of choices dropped into here where like we were talking about before he chose who his friends were he chose what his house was he chose to do the right thing and go after the stone our boy harry did and the power of choice just gets magnified to a crazy crazy level in half-blood prince and it continues through deathly hollows as well where there's a gigantic choice he has to make and it sets the tone for how the series ends so yeah keep that in mind and there is a huge theme between all of my favorite fantasy books novels shows whatever is that the power of choice doesn't just apply to the main character i feel like that is the biggest pitfall that a author falls into when writing is that they remember that their main character needs these big choices that they have to go through in life which obviously harry has but that each smaller independent character in that world has just as many choices put in front of them and it's amazing going back and looking at these books at how many choices all of these characters have already have to make. I'm not even talking to kids. I'm talking big, adult, middle of the core content later in the books choices being made right now. Voldemort, the night that he went and killed Harry, had a huge choice to make. And it literally altered history. Wow, that is a very good point. I completely forgot about that. That choice was massive. Yeah. But we will that, I mean, you that. talking about Order of the Phoenix reminded me about it. Yeah, exactly. We'll touch on that more in the Order of the Phoenix pots. Uh, very excited to get to the probably the last quarter of Order of the Phoenix, I would say. Yeah. That's I mean, it's juicy. <laughs> I was going to say, that's every one of these books is the first three quarters is just introducing new magic and new people. And then the last quarter is, what's Voldemort up to this year? <laughs> Dude, Order of the Phoenix is cleaning the spooky house for 100 pages. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. And then, speaking of different books in the series, uh, where does this book rank for you out of all of them? This one probably ranks fourth for me, which seems wow. weird when I look at it, but it's the introduction. You have to look at the nostalgia of the first book a little more than some others. Prisoner of Azkaban, Chamber of Secrets, and I think I said the seventh book. I don't remember now. 
It was either the sixth or the seventh because Goblet of Fire and Prisoner of Azkaban are, are my two favorites. And then six and seven, I have to reread them. Obviously, I haven't read them in forget, forever. Oh. But I don't know. It just feels weird. So I had to put one at four. It could get bumped down to five. It is always going to be leagues above Chamber of Secrets and Prisoner of Azkaban. Above Prisoner of Azkaban? Or yeah. I thought Prisoner was your favorite. No, no, no. I, I can't stand uh, Azkaban. Oh, okay. Yeah. So what are, you, what are your top two? Order and Goblet, then? Order and Goblet, yeah. Okay, because you said Prisoner before. Oh, I'm sorry. Sure. No, yeah, yeah, You're yeah. good, man. Order and Goblet, four and five. Word. Okay, so for me, I would say that this book actually ranks six. Like you said, the nostalgia factor is strong, and I think it's a great intro to the series. But aside from Chamber, is actually probably my least favorite, unfortunately, even though it does have its own piece of importance later. That is kind of fun to see. Right. Um, that's the only good I, thing about Chamber is yeah. looking back on it when you're reading six and being like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, it just feels like, even Azkaban, to an extent, feels like such a filler book for me before everything real starts going down in the series. Exactly. So it's hard for me to rank this too high, unfortunately. So I'm going to leave it at six for now, I think. Okay. Well, everybody, I hope you enjoyed our recap and themes analysis for Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. We have one more podcast about book one coming up, and this time it's going to be the movie pod. So I hope you're all excited for us to go through the movie and build it up where it rightfully should be while also completely tearing it down. It should be a blast. Yeah, for all of our illiterate fans who have been very confused what this book thing is that we've been talking about, look forward to the movie part. Yeah, for all these different plot points that are completely forgotten and don't even exist, (laughs) keep that in mind as well. Everyone wondering (laughs) why I just gave Ron the MVP, they're like, he doesn't even talk in the movies. Yeah, he just yells about saving his life and freaks out. Yep. But again, thank you all for listening. And for next time, remember, don't go seeking that deadly mirror.